at what lengths will they go? Nothing's going to stop them. Gas thieves, the dirty trick that's left drivers fuming. One single photo and a lot of creepy break-ins. Why the surgical mask isn't the weirdest part. It's getting personal. It feels uncomfortable. A contentious Metro Van Board meeting as it backtracks on benefits. But this may not be the end of it. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. We'll get to those stories in just a moment, but we begin with breaking details in connection with a fatal assault in Yaletown. We now know the identity of the victim. Police believe 37-year-old Christopher Thomas Schiller of Vancouver was attacked at Cooper's Park near the Canby Street Bridge early Thursday morning before dragging himself to the nearby Park Casino where he collapsed. Schiller was taken to hospital and underwent emergency surgery, but he did not survive. Detectives from the Vancouver Police Homicide Unit are asking anyone who was in the area of Cooper's Park yesterday in Yaletown, which is just east of the Canby Street Bridge, along the seawall or in the park itself from midnight to 2 a.m., to give our investigators a call at 604-717-2500 or Crime Stoppers. Let us decide if the information is important. Something that very small could help us solve this case. No arrests have been made. Investigators are still trying to determine what led to Schiller's death. According to court records, a man with the same name and age has a long criminal history, including robbery, drug and weapons charges. And some more breaking news. Traffic news this time. Drivers being advised to avoid the Granville Street Bridge right now. A police incident on the bridge has it shut down to traffic in both directions. It started just after 4 o'clock this afternoon. As you can imagine, traffic is snarled in the area, especially with a Whitecaps game on. Best to avoid it for the time being if you can. Now, a warning tonight to drivers as gas prices soar to new record levels. That liquid gold is now a target for thieves. And as John Wall reports, they're willing to do just about anything to get at it. What happened to the days of just siphoning fuel out of someone's vehicle? Gas thieves in Langley have found a much costlier way to commit the crime. So I got out to look at the gas cap, was closed, and I noticed I was standing in a basically a puddle of gas. A quarter-sized hole was drilled right into the plastic fuel tank. Brent Thielade wasn't the only one. Multiple trucks parked on Walnut Grove Drive were hit early Monday morning. Yeah, it's kind of scary. What else are they going to do? <laughs> It's very senseless to me. I mean, you're destroying people's properties. Langley RCMP have been notified. Repair experts say they aren't surprised this is happening. Yep, there it is. It's the same spot every time. The cost of a new fuel tank, more than $1,000 to replace. I got a feeling I'll be seeing more like this. And it's it's unfortunate because it's a real real kick in the backside. And the victims say you don't have to look very far to see what's fueling these crimes. With gas prices like this, they say hitting one of their trucks with a full tank of gas is the equivalent to about $130. At what lengths will they go? Nothing's going to stop them. They'll find the gas if they want it, right? The days of drill thefts likely aren't done. The price at the pumps in Metro Vancouver already set two new records this week, and it's still climbing. Another two-cent increase come Sunday, bringing this to a total of 161.9 pennies, call it almost $1.62 for Sunday. Thelade is claiming the damage through insurance, but the deductible is about $300. 
somebody knows where to drill the hole and maybe has experience with a certain type of vehicle. So vehicle owners and especially truck drivers be warned. Gas thieves are literally hitting a new low. John Wah, Global News. IHIT is releasing the identity of Surrey's latest homicide victim. 24-year-old Amin Venipal of Delta, who was known to police, was found dead on a rural stretch of 12th Avenue near 178th Street yesterday afternoon. Not long after that, a vehicle was spotted on fire on 28th Avenue. Investigators believe that second crime scene may be linked. I myself have heard um, through social media that there are tipsters out there that have reported hearing gunshots. We need to find out who these tipsters are. It's vital to the investigation, so I'm asking those people who may have heard or seen anything suspicious in that area, you need to please come forward and speak with IHIT. Officers also want to speak with anyone who may have had contact with Vinipal before his death. An Abbotsford police officer is under investigation, caught on camera allegedly stuffing drug money into his sock. Jill Bennett has more on the officer's explanation and the irony behind how this incident came to light, Jill. Chris, in November of last year, Abbotsford police executed several search warrants on storage lockers, a vehicle, and a home. They seized cash, weapons, and drugs. And later, Abbotsford resident Brian Vincent McDonald was charged with eight counts of possession for the purpose of trafficking. However, in court this week, selections from surveillance video inside the home that was raided were played, with the allegation one of the police officers took money. The officer did testify in court this week that... He did take the money, put it into his sock as part of a joke. Uh, However, he did not keep the money. He returned it. That officer has since been removed from operational duties. While the RCMP are now investigating to determine whether or not a criminal offense took place, the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner has also been alerted. We expect our officers during raids or during search warrants to be professional and um, so so things like practical jokes or ill ill-fitting jokes for circumstances like that are inappropriate. Lawyer Ken Beach represents Brian McDonald. He says this is an egregious breach of trust by a police officer and on Monday he'll be back in court arguing that all the charges against his client should be stayed. Chris? All right, Jill, thank you. A man convicted of a fatal shooting on Christmas Eve morning has been sentenced. Russell Bedezi given life in prison with no chance of parole for 15 years. Bedezi was convicted of second-degree murder in the 2011 shooting death of Bradley McPherson at a Surrey house party. Police say the murder was random and that McPherson was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. Bedezi is already serving a 14-year sentence for manslaughter in a separate case. An unusually creepy break-and-enter case in Richmond. RCMP are looking for this person suspected of breaking into the same home in the 7,000 block of Bel Air Drive several times, each time wearing a surgical mask. It started in January and appeared to stop mid-February when the owners upgraded their security system. Adding to the mystery, it appears the suspect never took anything but sometimes moved things around within the house. So what's unusual is there has been nothing reported missing as of yet but at the same time um, the owners know something was amiss and and, and obviously this is, is troubling and concerning for the police 
If you think you recognize the suspect, you're asked to call Richmond RCMP. Flooding is prompting a local state of emergency in Summerland. The district issuing the order in the Garnet Valley area because Enius Creek has breached its banks. The Garnet Reservoir Dam, which feeds the creek, is seeing water levels right now higher than they were at last year's peak. Sandbagging is underway in some areas in the hopes of holding the water back as residents try to protect their homes and businesses. The state of local emergency gives us the opportunity to access the pro- people's properties to, to do what we need to do to protect public um, property and infrastructure. Residents are encouraged to take extra precautions around streams and waterways. A rather tense meeting today of Metro Vancouver board members one month after voting themselves a controversial pay raise and retirement benefit The board reversed its decision, the discussion prompting more than a few heated exchanges with one clear target. Ted Chernecki reports. Those in favor? Opposed? The motion fails unanimously. And with that, what seemed like a good idea at the time is no more. No pay raise, no retirement allowance. It doesn't happen too often, and I don't know if I've ever seen it happen at the provincial or federal government level where they actually stood up as a politician in the public and said, you know what, I made a mistake. There was a lot of patting on the back about how responsive the board was to admit a mistake, how responsible it is with taxpayers' money, but then things turned personal. It's a bit of a leadership gang-up, and I don't want to sit here silent because I think sometimes we do that. It's getting personal. West Vancouver's mayor, who was very public against the pay increase, was in the sights of both a chair and co-chair, the two who stood the most to gain. In fact, um, the city of North Vancouver, 2.17. Again, about the rate of inflation, so congratulations. Co-chair Louis started comparing municipal increases last year. West Vancouver, 15%. Uh, Don't know what the reasons were. Youth have found the necessity to refer to me as the Donald Trump of Metro. That's just what my family likes to hear. Uh, I will clarify that you have voted in favor of every budget at Metro Vancouver that included everything that you've been criticizing. You've never made an amendment, a motion, a policy, uh, anything on the floor. That's what you get when you stand up and speak out. But in this case, taxpayers won, ratepayers won. I think the mayor was fully within his rights to speak up. In the end, the board agreed to strike a panel from the public and private sector to find a better way to compensate politicians. However, there was no resolution to stop the name-calling. I don't believe that in this body we should get down to name-calling. But, uh, you know, over my nearly 50-year career in the private sector, I guess I've been called worse by a lot more credible people than Councillor Louis. So I I let it roll off my back. Ted Chernacki, Global News. The first court appearance for the suspect in the Golden State Killer case. The ingenious step investigators took to track him down later on the news hour. And thank you for the music. Swedish supergroup ABBA announces new songs. But the tour is something else entirely. That's coming up later. First, though, uh, residents of a Vancouver apartment building say they are the latest victims of renovations. They accuse their landlord of trying to force them out in order to raise the rent. Paul Johnson reports on what happened when he went to investigate. When is something a repair and when is it a renovation? And if you're talking about Vancouver's sought-after west side, when does a renovation become a renoviction? They're very uh, determined to say, I need to move out. 
Steve Lepage says when he complained about a leaky roof in his Kitsilano rental, the new landlords offered to fix it, but said the scope of the work meant he'd have to move out and move back in under a new tenancy at a much higher rent. I think the reason they want me to move out, I'm one of the persons who have been in the building for the longest, and I'm the one who's paying the lowest. This means she can rent my unit 4000 more a month. Lepage turned down his landlord's proposal and ended up with an eviction notice. He's fighting that, and he's tracked down documents that show other tenants faced various eviction threats from the same landlord, that they challenged her with the provincial arbitrator and won. In all of this, he says the building manager made a telling comment. I say, well, it seemed for me that's like it's more about money than, than me here. And she blandly told me, it's like, well, this is business. If that's true, it's not the way business is done in B.C. Landlords can't just use any old reno or repair as an excuse to jack up the rent. We went to the building's owner about that. She said she was too busy to talk to us today. But as we were shooting at the Kitts property, her manager turned up. Hi, Paul Johnson from Global News. Amy is standing firm with her boss. He thinks what's actually happening is that the owner is just trying to get more rent. Is, is that true? No. In the exchange that happened after. This is a landlord's property. Little was resolved on this eviction issue, but one would suspect there's going to be plenty of work for residential tenancy lawyers in B.C., for a long time to come. This is her, the property, right, not yours. Yeah, you have, have a renter. Do you have to respect the law? I respect the law. Paul Johnson, Global News. The city of Vancouver is officially unveiling its latest temporary modular housing units, despite some objections from some neighbors. 78 new units are opening in two buildings on Franklin Street and Powell Street. The units include a private bathroom, kitchenette, and a living area that doubles as a bedroom. The buildings also have common laundry facilities and meeting rooms for support staff. So I really do view today as a victory for people who now have a safe and stable place to call home. These are the latest of a total of 600 units the city plans to build, funded in large part by a $66 million commitment by the provincial government. It sounds like the plot of a movie, but a Syrian man is living it in real life, stranded in a Malaysian airport for nearly two months. Nadia Stewart explains why and talks to the people who want to bring him here to BC. This is only the area I have. The Kuala Lumpur International Airport is not the kind of place anyone would want to call home, but Hassan Alcantar has no choice. Almost every country I was in, they were deporting me or not accepting me. There is no place to go. So this is what I'm facing. His saga began in 2011 when war broke out in Syria. He refused to join the army, making him a wanted man. Without a valid passport from the Syrian government, he was forced to leave the United Arab Emirates, where he'd been living and working since 2012 up to 2017. The UAE deported him, sending him to Malaysia. But his visa ran out last month. And he's exhausted all his options. Like uh, contacting every and each embassy in, uh, in Kuala Lumpur, each and every international human uh, or United Nations office. We really need the Minister of Immigration to step in and help him get out of there. Lori Cooper is part of a team of Canadians lobbying the government to bring Hassan here. We are set up 
to support him and sponsor him here. One option is what's called a temporary resident permit, which would allow Hassan to arrive in Canada and stay here while his application is being processed. Cooper says a job and place to live are already lined up for him in Whistler. He doesn't have the opportunity to sleep except on the chairs. And the BC Muslim Association is stepping up to help. We have people in refugee camps. We try to help them, to bring them here. So he is considered in very difficult circumstances, and we can sponsor. Thousands have already been raised. Hassan's application was only submitted days ago. Advocates believe Canada is best positioned to help. This country might be his last hope. Nadia Stork, Global News. After a busy afternoon commute, traffic over here on the Alex Fraser Bridge has eased off in both directions, but don't forget, you're going to find lane closures for overnight construction on the bridge deck itself, as well as south of the bridge deck at Highway 91 and 72nd Avenue. Chevrolet's Truck Month is back in April. Visit your local dealer to get up to $11,000 in total savings on the 2018 Silverado Double Cab Custom Edition. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Canada's hockey and music communities are coming together right now in Saskatoon. We'll show you a live shot from the city's 15,000-seat arena as they host a benefit concert for the victims of the bus crash three weeks ago that killed 16 people. A lot of music acts lined up. Most of the victims, of course, were members of the Humboldt Broncos hockey team. More than 30 current and past NHL players are also attending tonight's show. Proceeds are going directly to the families of the victims, and we'll have more coverage of that concert coming up online and on the news at 11 tonight. In the meantime, the international community is still buzzing about last night's stunning summit between the leaders of North and South Korea. The big question tonight, will they follow through on their pledge to end their long-running war and eliminate nuclear weapons from the Korean Peninsula? A small step for Kim Jong-un, a leap into history as the first North Korean leader to set foot in the South, hand in hand with its President Moon and briefly stepping back in the North. Unthinkable just months ago, this was a day of high hopes. The peace era starts now, Kim said, but no promise here to get rid of his nuclear weapons. No more war, said President Moon. A peace treaty, their eventual goal. They talked for eight and a half hours. Kim's nuclear arsenal at the heart of it. Of his missile tests, he told Moon, I won't interrupt your early morning sleep anymore. The big question that is still left unanswered is whether the North Korean leader is really willing to give up his nuclear weapons. The agreement they signed was long on pledges like ending the Korean War, but short on detail. But old enemies acted like new friends, talking alone in the woods, toasting the future, aware always of the symbolism. This meeting set the stage for what President Trump confirmed today would be his summit with Kim Jong-un within weeks. This one ending with a dinner, Kim's wife there too, some political theater, the theme of the day, and a lot of unanswered questions. Bill Neely, NBC News, Seoul. Back here at home, investigators in Toronto say they've now identified all 10 people who died in Monday's van attack. I'd like to thank the families and friends who've been waiting for confirmation. I can't imagine how difficult the situation has been for them. I have had words with more than one family and 
heard their concerns and respected their concerns, and they have been nothing short of stoic. Eight women and two men were killed, ranging in age from 22 to 94. Two were foreign nationals. The alleged driver, 25-year-old Alec Manassian, is charged with 10 counts of first-degree murder and 13 counts of attempted murder. Police say more attempted murder charges will likely be added when Manassian returns to court next month. Some surprising new details tonight about how police tracked down the elderly man now accused of being the Golden State Killer. Investigators say they caught 72-year-old Joseph James D'Angelo using DNA on the same kind of genealogy websites used by ordinary people to find their ancestors. For the first time, suspected serial killer Joseph D'Angelo went before a judge, a brief appearance with a 72-year-old in a wheelchair, saying little. Well, D'Angelo's brother-in-law says the family is in shock. We didn't know we were totally blindsided. Prosecutors confirm they used genealogy to track down D'Angelo. Investigator Paul Hole says authorities compared DNA from the crime scene with genetic profiles available through the genealogy website GEDmatch. The goal, find distant relatives of the killer. If you see that they share a little bit more DNA, you've stepped a little bit closer to who the offender is. That narrowed down the suspect pool, eventually leading to D'Angelo, who suspected in at least 12 murders and 50 rapes. So what is GEDmatch? It's an online database with only two employees headquartered in this Florida house. Users can enter their DNA information to search for genetic matches. But in a statement, the company says it is important that GEDmatch participants understand the possible uses of their DNA, including identification of relatives that have committed crimes or were victims of crimes. DNA testing companies, including Ancestry DNA and 23andMe, were quick to point out they did not help investigators with the case. Today, 23andMe's CEO spoke with NBC's Jolene Kent. Would you give up personal data? No. So we've we've had we've had inquiries, and we we do we do not. Observers say the case raises questions about privacy that could be debated for years. Joe Fryer, NBC News, Sacramento. A bombshell in broadcasting today. Two former co-workers of Tom Brokaw are accusing the former NBC nightly news anchor of sexual harassment. He leans over with his index finger and puts it on my mouth to silence me and says, this is our compact. And at that point, he took the same hand, reached behind my head and tried to force me to kiss him. Former NBC reporter Linda Vester says she was the target of two unwanted advances from Rakoff back in the 1990s. A second unnamed former employee of the network says Brokaw groped and propositioned her. Brokaw vehemently denies the allegations, calling Vester a character assassin with a grudge against NBC News. Some royal baby gamblers are in the money tonight now that the name of the newest member of the British royal family has been announced. The Duke and Duchess of Cambridge naming their third child Louis Arthur Charles, also known as Prince Louis of Cambridge. Louis is a popular name in the family. It's one of the middle names of both princes, William and Louis's big brother, George. British bookies are said to have made millions of dollars as a result of William and Kate choosing a somewhat unexpected name. And you can already bet on what Louis's future might hold. For example, bookmakers are giving, thousand, uh, giving a thousand to one odds that he'll grow up to play soccer for England. 
in Health Matters tonight. It's been proven over and over again that exercise is critical for seniors. And a new UBC study says older people are more likely to stick with an exercise plan if they're in a group program with others their own age. Whether or not the exercise partners are the same gender doesn't seem to make a difference. Fewer than 15% of Canadians over the age of 59 meet international physical activity guidelines. You may not have seen her work, but it's on walls and in photo albums in thousands of homes around the world. And now the Vancouver photographer, who spent more than three decades taking pictures of boaters and their boats, is finally getting to show off some of her creations. Linda Aylesworth reports. There's a nice shot. Man. Meet Maria Sternberg and her trusty companion, Marina. To protect Marina's eyes, she wears sunglasses. You might not recognize them on land, but put them in a boat, a bright pink boat, and it's a different story. People refer to me as the Papa Yahtzee of the West Coast. Maria takes photographs of boats, boaters, you name it, as long as it's on the water. Maria has been a staple of the, the marine maritime community uh, for, for over three decades, and her, her work is, is fantastic. Which is why the Vancouver Maritime Museum decided to give Maria her own exhibit. And this one really draws you right in with the, uh, the, the framing of the shot. Don't these people work? Our oh, poor fishermen, eh? that's a herring opening. A longtime boater and photographer, Maria's Sea Snaps business was inspired by Fonzie's photos, which offered candid shots to landlubbers. I would run up alongside of them in, in my little boat in a 17-foot runabout, and I had a business card at the end of a fishing pole. In time, her fame grew, as did the variety in her portfolio. And then I got started being asked to do commercial work, shooting our tugs and our ships, doing aerials. It was her passion for aerial photography that in 2004 nearly ended more than her career. We were shooting and we fell out of the sky. My pilot, good friend of mine, Jean Bellavant, he died on impact. Three broken vertebrae and numerous surgeries slowed Maria down, but they didn't stop her. Her little pink boat may have retired, but she hasn't. Will you ever stop? Negative. <laughs> Negative. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I will be doing this uh, uh, until I no longer can do it. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. More than 35 years after this, their last public performance, one of the biggest pop groups in history announces new music and a tour. Sort of. The details right after the forecast. And on that note, what a difference 24 hours makes. We're going to check in with Yvonne Schell and for Christy. There's been a bit of a change out there just even in the last hour or two, hasn't there, Yvonne? Absolutely. We have seen the cooler air already pushing in across the south coast and very windy conditions. And we are looking at the potential for some rainfall as early as the overnight. Today is our transition day, but look at some of the numbers first off. We did have some record-breaking temperatures, but that was for the interior. Uh, most areas, for example, into Chetwind, Pemberton was close to uh, with a new record of 29.5. Old one set back in 1926 with 28.9. As we look to a few other spots across the province, Vernon tying a record of 26.5, set back in 1980 in areas near Burns Lake at 21.9 with a new record high. Today's hot spot, warm area across the province in the country at Lit with Lytton at 30.7. 
A few other numbers today with trail at 26. Cooler for Victoria with only a high of 17 and Tofino double digits at 11. Our high today in the airport was 17. Average for this time of the year sits at 14. Here's the cloud cover that has started to push in the winds. We've got this marine air. It is going to cool off significantly in comparison to the record heat that we've been seeing over the past few days. Be prepared for the weekend. Both days will be cool, unsettled and a chance of showers. We're at 14 southeasterly winds. Right now at 35 kilometers per hour, the airport seeing gusts at 46. Victoria with gusts close to 40 kilometers per hour in Tawasin with a sustained wind at 39. The system just to the south of us is going to bring in moisture. Most of it is a chance of showers overnight, rainfall for our Saturday, and then easing back off to showers on Sunday. But both days will be cool. The return for some dry weather. The timing of it will be on our Monday onwards. Northern half of the province with temperatures up to 11. Sunny spots for the coast. Central interior tomorrow on the dry side. It's the southern interior seeing cloud cover a chance of showers pushing in Kelowna will be up to 18 chilly for tomorrow Whistler at 12 in comparison to the heat we've been seeing and right across the south coast we are looking at showers for the morning rain as early as the afternoon it'll continue to be unsettled both days out of the weekend highs closer to 13 degrees so significant cool down Monday Tuesday it'll start to rebound and it's Wednesday onwards we'll start to see the return for some heat some sunshine especially for the interior section but a difference, what a difference a day makes, Chris. But much warmer looking ahead towards next week. Quite chilly this weekend. No doubt. Look forward to that sunshine. We've got to work on the timing a little bit, Yvonne. Not, not great. All right, we'll talk to you later. That seismic jolt you might have felt across the pop music landscape this morning is still rumbling through social media. Mama Mia, does it show again? One of the most successful pop groups in history dropping a bombshell on Twitter ABBA announcing they've recorded two new songs, their first in more than 35 years. The group also announcing the songs will be performed on TV and on tour by their digital selves, computer-generated avatars, or in this case, avatars, I guess. Not my joke. So they don't want to go on stage anymore? No. No, and they've been pretty honest about not wanting to get out there. They want people to just remember them as they were. With their wide pants and their 70s makeup. That's right. I mean, I'm not, yes. Actually, you know what? Sometimes, I'm not saying them, sometimes you go and see, like, the, oh, the quote-unquote classic band, and it's like, just doesn't seem the same. Yeah. Been there. Been there. Squires here with sports. Yes. We'll start with the Whitecaps, who are playing tonight. Of course, last week, they, um, they lost their third in a row last week. That's 6 nothing disaster in sporting Kansas City. It featured bad defense and bad behavior. The Whitecaps got two red cards in that game. Mind you, that was after it was already 3-0. That wasn't the reason they got killed. It only helped. Uh, the losing streak actually started against Real Salt Lake. And tonight, that same team will play the Whitecaps, except this time the game will be at BC Place. And for the first time ever, the Whitecaps are going to start Brett Levi's in an MLS game. He's a Saskatchewan boy. I think that's only... Two Saskatchewan natives who have started in MLS. Uh, he's back with the Whitecaps after a serious knee injury. So the question is, is he nervous about tonight? I would say a little bit. I would say I'm more excited. Um, it's been a long time. I, I don't really, you know, I was trying to think the last time I played in the MLS was my debut, which was um, uh, October 23rd, 2016, which is quite a long time ago now. But I've been working really hard, and I, I'm, I'm fit, I'm healthy, so I'm, I'm just, I'm excited. Okay, so tomorrow is lottery day for the NHL teams that didn't make the playoffs. And the big prize is Swedish defenseman 
Rasmus Dahlin. No matter which team wins this draft lottery, they will take Dahlin first overall. He is considered to have superstar qualities. Let's put it this way. If he was a mutant, he'd be an X-Man recruit. He wouldn't even have to audition. The uh, Canucks' chances of getting Dolan and winning this lottery, 7.5%. Jim Benning figures the Canucks are due for some luck in the NHL draft lottery. In the franchise's 48-year history, the Canucks have never had the number one pick. This year would be a great time to break that streak with Swedish defenseman Rasmus Dahlin the top prize. Right now, Benning can only dream. If we were to get that first pick, it would, it would you know, be huge for our organization and our city. Um, I got to be so happy for our fan base, you know, to have a, a, a number one defenseman. And, you know, when I look at our power play going forward with the uh, Patterson on one side and Besser on the other and having that big defenseman in the middle like you know for the next 10 years would be set on the power play. The stud defenseman is a real game changer in the NHL. They are a rare breed and make no mistake Rasmus Dahlin could be that Victor Hedman or Eric Carlson type that would jumpstart the Canucks rebuild in a hurry. In the league you know there's maybe 15 or 20 true number one defensemen like you know, I'm talking about defensemen that play big minutes, you know, run the power play, kill penalties, play against the other team's top lines in a matchup role. And that's the type of player that he could turn out to be. Now, for some unforeseen reason, the Canucks don't win the lottery and they pick somewhere between 6th and ninth. It seems a good bet they will still go with the defenseman. Another Swede, Adam Boakvist, could be a possibility. He's small, just five foot nine, but undersized blue liners seem to be a growing trend in the NHL. It's about speed and skill and, you know, defensemen being able to turn and go and get the puck and transition it up the other way, either by skating it out or making a good first pass. Only if the Canucks get the second or third pick would they likely go with a forward. Russian Andrei Svechnikov is ranked number two. Czech winger Philip Zadina is at number three. And American Brady Kachuk is at four. Any of those three could jump right in and be impact players. I think the top three players in this draft, I feel, could step in and play in the NHL next year. Now all the Canucks need is a little luck. Just this once. Very delay, Global Sports. Pekka Rene getting ready for the Winnipeg Jets with interpretive dance. All right, he doesn't face a lot of shots in the first two periods, but he's the one letting in goals. Brian Little just keeps going. And Brandon Tanev, Chris's brother, scores. one nothing for the Jets. And then the guy they got at the trade deadline, Paul Stastny. T.K. Subban forgets about him. He gets the rebound. Shifley has scored 3-0 after two. Raptors trying to wrap it up against the Washington Wizards. John Wall, can he force a game seven? Well, you can't leave him that wide open or he will. He had 23 points. They jumped out to an 18-6 lead. Raptors second unit brings him back. C.J. Miles from Fred Van Vliet. Late in the second, Kyle Lowry. He had 24. Toronto was down by only three at the half. In the second half, those bench players with the help of that kind of play from Kyle Lowry, 39 points off the bench. 
for all the extras, Pascal Siakam and the Raptors win it. They are moving on to the second round. They'll take on either the Cavs or the Pacers. There you go. Awesome. Thanks very much, Squire. All right, Friday. So it's satellite debris Who showed time. showed up? I thought it was just going to be you and me. Oh, you've been outside in the, in the freezing cold. It's dipping out there now. Yeah, it's nice and warm in here. That's why I came back in. <laughs> I figured. Okay, two commercials. Uh, first one for Seth and Riley's Garage Hard Lemonade and then Ikea. Here we go. Seth and Riley's Garage. Kind of genius. Kind of. Did you know that a lion spends more than 18 hours a day relaxing? But if you think they are lazy, think again. Just waiting for the right moment. And when their minds and bodies are fully recharged, then, and only then, it's time for action. Relax into greatness. Ikea, the wonderful everyday. That was, I, I didn't really know where that was going, but no. that's, that's where it ended up. Okay, uh, all right, let's go for a boat ride. It's a nice day. Let's do it. So uh, this is a hydroplane, obviously. It's going to go really fast on the water. But, of course, the thing about these hydroplanes, there you go. Um, it's not like driving on a flat road. This road has a lot of speed bumps. And if you catch one that's a little too big, you are going for an airplane ride rather than a hydroplane ride. And you may be wondering, what is this a commercial for? Oh, it looks like it could be Schweppes. Maybe it's 7-Up or Alka-Seltzer. But no, it's, it's, wait a minute, is he okay? Yeah, he's okay. It's GoPro. Oh. Of course. There you yeah, go. All right, two, uh, two old favorites from our friends. Well, I don't know if they're really our friends. I haven't actually met anybody from there, but it's Bud Light. Here we go. This round of Bud Lights on me. All right. Thanks, Steve. Yo, Steve. Fist bump is out, man. Really? What's in? Cool. <laughs> Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Nice job in there, Larson. You saved the account. <laughs> what are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's, uh... 
bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. In a chainsaw. <laughs> Old school. Okay, there you go. Thank you very much, Squire. Quick shout out to everybody who's going to be taking part in the Hoopathon at Strathcona Community Center in Vancouver tomorrow. We are shooting as many foul shots as we can in one minute. And how much is it up to I now? I think we're up to 240 per basket. Nice. But the Rotarians. $240. The Rotarians have, have pledged $240 a basket for every basket. We hit, so we'll see how much money we can raise tomorrow. Tune in tomorrow. We'll have it on the news hour. We'll show the results as well. Sounds good. You can still <laughs> donate online, too. Look it up. Thanks very much, everybody. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday.